Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. We are spiritual creatures. We are body and we are soul. And if we walk according to the flesh only, we don't feed the spirit with spiritual things, then the spirit begins to wither and the flesh becomes stronger and we become more and more tied, tied to this world. And when the world is destroyed, we are destroyed with it. But our eternal soul will live on. And you want to know why Satan hates us so much? Because he can't be redeemed. He can't be redeemed and we're doing his job magnifying God. It was his job. Now it's our job to magnify the Lord. He used to magnify God. Now it's our job. The ornaments that was once adorned upon him is now on our property. It's on our land. The stuff we haven't seen yet, we have a property purchased for us that the Lord bought for us. Amen. That stuff is just over there, glory land. We can't see it wholly yet, but he's kind of told us what it's like. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's got brother uh, Doug Hogan to bring the word of the Lord to us today. We're so glad that you're here. Is the newest little Pacheco. There she is. Oh, my goodness. Well, welcome her. Would you do that this morning? What a beautiful, beautiful baby that we have. Amen. Thank you uh, for getting her out in this cold this morning. Amen. Get her first dose of Pentecost. We want her to be in the presence of the Lord, don't we? Amen. Amen. Brother Hogan, come bring us the word of the Lord today. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. I'm just going to step up here and get me a water because my voice has been on the fritz all week long. Amen. I got to tell you, I, I'm not going to know what to do with, with two free hands um, I know it's been about uh, roughly a year and a half since uh, everybody look at the baby. That's okay. Babies are better than me. I know. <laughs> Certainly more interesting. Amen. So it's a little different for me. It's been about a year and a half since I've ministered to you as a congregation um, for one reason or another. If you weren't here, if you weren't here a few Wednesdays ago, we had like a uh, a testimony service here on Wednesday. I kind of shared, you know, a little bit of what I was going through. But um, in case you um, weren't here, and I'll go go through all of it. You just just understand that I've wow, my whole family's been through so much recently. And uh, about a year and a half ago, I just started have realized I had to push some things away. It wasn't anything that was intentional. It was just I was I had some 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 health issues going on, and uh, it was all. Um, Everybody familiar with the endocrine system? It's a huge word. Nurses, of course, will, will know what the endocrine system is. It's a very complex thing. And uh, they, they uh, over time, they had done some studies on me and found that I had a, a pituitary cyst. Um, pituitary is an organ uh, attached to your brain. It's part of your brain that regulates all of your hormones. So there's a little cyst in there, and it's wreaking uh, absolute havoc on my hormone system. Uh, it was destroying me. Um, I, I didn't feel like myself. I just felt kind of down and out. Um, and I was kind of battling that through the process of them trying to figure out what was going on with me. And they were doing blood tests and all kinds of things, MRIs. Um, and then those of you that don't know that my wife also about this time found out she had already had six biopsies um, out of both breasts. And um, found out on, during the last biopsy that she had uh, stage zero breast cancer. Um, so she's going to be losing everything um, Tuesday. So we ask that you keep her in your prayers, uh, the family, because uh, we, look, we are not sad about this. Um, we've given everything to the Lord. We're giving everything to Him, and He will see us through. In fact, He's already reassured us. You know, we got this. Uh, it's in the basket. And while well, I can walk without being attached to something, I feel like I'm wired to a system, but I'm, I'm like free. So it's going to take a little bit of adjusting. Amen. So 
that being said, it is a wonderful day outside. I was kind of wondering if we were going to make it today because it was supposed to rain all night and freeze. I was worried about black ice and, you know, slick spots and everything, but it turned out perfect today. I know Bryce loves it because he gets, he gets snow and church. Amen. So that's, uh, that's really, really awesome. Amen. So that being said, uh, we're going to open up our text today. If you can stand with me this morning, and I really do have... I struggle with uh, how much uh, material I wanted to present this morning. Uh, I hope I didn't condense it too much because I do know that I got about 30 minutes. And uh, those of you know that anytime I teach, I'm extremely long-winded. But it has been a year and a half since I taught anything except, uh, you know, from the Bible anyway. Um, I, I do on occasion go uh, over to North Carolina and do presentations. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, if you want to open up there with me. What's crazy about laptops is I have a, a Bible, an entire Bible on my laptop. I'm not, I don't have, this is weird. I'm, I don't have a microphone in my hand. I don't have a Bible in front of me. I just, I do, but it's, it's, it's all digital. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. We're going to start there. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? She already, he's kind of questioning uh, Eve and trying to uh, kind of put a spin on uh, what the Lord had uh, directed uh, Adam and Eve. Verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day that you should eat thereof, that your eyes would be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman looked and saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So they're feeling shame, right? They're feeling guilt and shame. And they went and they hid themselves, realizing that they had done wrong, realizing that they were naked. Verse 9 says, And the Lord God called unto Adam. And this is where I want to draw your attention unto today. And he said unto him, where are you? Where are you? Amen. You can be seated this morning. Again, thank everybody for coming out here. I want to teach to you this morning on this simple title, Half Faded. Half Faded. So where are you? You can almost imagine uh, in a sense that God is walking around the garden saying, I can hear you but I can't see you. I believe that in this passage of Scripture that we uh, went through here today, that we see kind of a, a story that has almost like two truths. You've heard of a dual uh, sword with two edges in the Bible. This is kind of be that way. we got two truths here in this story. Humans are spiritual creatures. All right, we, have, we have a body and we have a soul. Uh, someone who's more carnally inclined needs to be spoken to in, in, with carnal words in, in such a way that they can understand what's being uh, spoken to them, that's being ministered to them. It's not like that with someone who's more spiritually inclined. People who are more spiritually inclined 
have already walked through that land of carnality. Right? We're talking about people who have already lived uh, the life of a sinner and, and, and have, have heard of the, God's wonderful grace and his mercy, and they've repented of their sins. They've been washed in his blood and, and, uh, and buried in his name. They've been filled with his spirit. And so they know the language of the carnal man. They know that language. They know that place. They know where they've been. They've traveled through that land, and they know that language. But they also know another language, and that is of the spiritual so when he became carnal, he found himself in a place he had never known. It was a place separate from the presence of God. So when the Lord asked him, where are you? He was essentially asking, look at you. Look at what you've done. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any a man have not the Spirit of God or the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So, that being said, I just kind of want to show you a little video here. If you guys have never heard of uh, Denver the Guilty Dog, this, this video went absolutely viral on YouTube a few years ago. Denver uh, the Guilty Dog um, he has passed on since. He's a uh, she, I, I think it's a she, is, is no longer alive now, but it's, it's, uh, it's a funny video nonetheless. And there's a lesson here that I'm going to use, so if you go ahead and play that. All right, well, apparently while I was out, Somebody got into the kitty cat treats. Now, I'm going to look at the suspects. Suspect number one. Is it you, Macy? See your face. Did you do this? Did you? I don't think he did. Number two. What? Did you do this? Denver, did you do this? Denver, was this you? Denver, you won't look at me. Did you? What? Denver, did you do this? Look at me. Come here. Let me see. Let me see your face. Oh my goodness, Denver, you didn't. You, you did this? You got in the kitty cat's treats? While I was going? I can't believe it. Are you sorry about it? Okay. You know the routine. In the kennel. Go on. Very disappointed. You're in the penalty box. You let it happen. I hope you're happy too. So, those listening out there in podcast land, what we just saw was a Denver the dog. Uh, he had or she uh, had got into some cat treats and uh, left the evidence behind, which was a half-eaten box of her bag of, uh, of, of kitten kibble. I don't know what it was. 
uh, and the owner had found it, walked up to uh, Denver and said, was this you? Did you do this? And Denver sitting there with her little guilty, uh, I don't know what you call it, smile, smirk, I don't know what it was, but she was guilty. She felt the shame. She knew that she had done wrong. She had been discovered. Her master knew that he knew that she was, she was the one that ate it. So um, what we saw there at the end then after it was discovered by the master that Denver was the one that indeed uh, got into the kitten kibble, uh, he said, all right, I'm going to have to send you away now to the kennel. Go on. She got up and she walked to the kennel. And then he looked back at the other dog and said, and you let this happen. <laughs> so there's kind of a, an analogy there. We see something similar to this happen in the Garden of Eden. So uh, Eve was deceived by the serpent, and she took uh, the fruit, whatever it was. I believe that it was an apple. We don't know what it was. It could have been a, tang- a tangerine. It could have been an orange. We don't know what it was. Maybe it's something that's not. we don't even eat anymore. Maybe it was one specific tree, and it was the only tree specific in the entire world. We have no idea what it was. But uh, nonetheless, it was, uh, it was there, and uh, she uh, was beguiled by the serpent, and she took it and ate it, and she gave it to Adam, and Adam knew that he was supposed to have it, and he let it happen. He took a bite of it as well. And uh, because of it, they were banished, banished from the garden. Um, in the process, though, we, we, we find that Adam and Eve were hiding, and the Lord walking uh, through the midst of the garden didn't see them. He's like, <clears throat> where are you? So I believe there that there's also a second truth. I believe also to a degree that when the Bible says we are lost, I take it quite literally to mean we are unseen. In that respect, I believe that the Lord knew that Adam was in the garden. He knew that he was there somewhere in the garden, but he couldn't see him anymore. He was lost. I remember vaguely this uh, point in my childhood. I was young. I don't remember how young. I was young enough that my brother, my brother's seven years younger than me, um, six and a half, six, six and a half, seven years uh, younger than me. He was young enough to be walking around, uh, talking. He was very vocal. We lived, in my memory, my mom will argue with this point, but I remember it to be an old farmhouse, not a farmhouse really, it was more like a school, it was a schoolhouse that had been turned into an apartment. And we were living there and it was, I, I want to say it was in Aiken, Illinois, somewhere in Franklin County or close to, uh, around the border of Franklin County. Uh, we were living there and uh, the plumbing and electrical was bad in the basement. I didn't know the basement, I was a kid, I didn't go to the basement, I was afraid of basements, they're dark, they're, they smell bad, they're, they're moist and there's monsters down there, right? So I wanted nothing to do with the basement. I stayed as far away from it as possible. Well, me and my brother were away doing whatever angelic children do whenever mom's not watching. She was down in the basement and she was checking the plumbing and the electrical. And uh, me and my brother was outside and we came into the house from doing whatever we was doing. And uh, we're, mom must have heard us because she's like, she called me by name, called my brother by name. And we stopped. We're like, where's she at? And we heard her call, call again. We're like, Mom, where are you? I'm down here. We're like, we knew of heaven and hell. <laughs> so so we're, we're down here. I'm down here. So we're looking, and uh, we didn't know where she was at. And we're looking around the house. We go through the kitchen. We go through the bedroom. We go through the hallway. We go through into her room. We go into the bathroom. Uh, we can't find her anywhere. We're calling out, Mom, where are you? I'm down here. Finally, my brother in his uh, innocence and candid, says, Mom, did a ghost take you? (laughs) So 
the end of the story was that we found out that there was a basement in the house and the ghost didn't take her. She was just down there looking around. She came up. But it's no surprise to anybody in this room that when somebody's out of sight and you can hear their voice, you're not certain exactly where they are. Uh, how many people like to go, like, I, I, love, I, love to go, I don't go very often to Six Flags, but when I go to Six Flags, I, I love going to Six Flags. Um, I've been with, to Six Flags when I was a teenager. Um, I've, I can equate to somebody who's uh, taking their children to theme parks and say, yeah, sure, you go on ahead. You go on ahead and, and, and find Thunder River. Um, I'm going to be over here on uh, the Screaming Eagle with your mom. Um, you stay right there, and we're done with the Screaming Eagle. We're going to come and find you. I'm not talking about kids like I'm talking about kids like this. So you let them go and do their thing, and uh, at the end of your Screaming Eagle, you go and look, and they're not there. I lost my kids. My kids are lost. Now, you know that they're somewhere in the theme park. You know they're somewhere in Six Flags, but you don't know where they're at. They're lost to you. Your kids are lost. You can report them lost. If your kids are missing at home for a certain amount of time, you can call the police and report them missing. You don't know where they're at necessarily. Or maybe you do and you call the police, say, hey, I lost my kids or, you know, somewhere, and you know where they're at. But they're out of sight. They're lost to you. How about after the theme park? This is the part we all enjoy, right? You got your key fob, your huge parking lot, huge parking lot outside of Six Flags. You, you're, you walk out. When you park there, there's probably 300 cars. <laughs> On your way out, there's 10,000 cars. And you're like this pushing your button on your key fob, hoping up way over your head, just walking down, because you can't remember, was it A3 or B3? Was it A2 or D2? R2-D2. <laughs> Those Star Wars fans out there, some of you get it, some of you don't. That's okay, we'll pray for you. But your car is lost. You're waiting for a signal to be picked up. You're pushing the button on that key fob and you're waiting for your car to receive a signal until that car receives a signal from your key fob and makes a sound. It says, here I am. You're not going to know where it's at. The car is lost to you until you know where it's at. There was a time in Luke 15 and 4 when Jesus was sitting with some tax collectors and he noticed the Pharisees being their usual selves, all judgmental-like about the company that he was keeping, Jesus saw this and said, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? Now, I can empathize with a shepherd because he, he constantly runs numbers. I run numbers in my workplace all day long. I've been doing it for 20 years. Numbers, numbers, numbers. All we do is count. We're not counting sheep. We're counting people. And in a maximum security environment, if you miss somebody, you better go find them. They're lost. And it's very important that you find them or you get fired. So the hunt, now I've never lost a patient, I've never lost an inmate or anything like that, but I have subordinates who have lost them in the past. So they might be in the dining room, some of you familiar with Chesterman Health Center, you know, the way the dining room is set, there's a washroom in there, a restroom. So a patient could go into the restroom when they're supposed to be lining up. And so everybody's leaving out of the dining room and they're counting the patients on the way out. And if they went in with 63 and they count 62 on the way out, there's one missing. We got one missing. And the next thing you know, they're, they're calling the shift supervisor. So, and uh, lo and behold, he's, uh, he's locked up in the, in the washroom. We found him. But God in his omniscience, walking through the garden, 
of Eden with Adam and Eve, they knew his voice and the Lord could hear them and he could, could see them. But that dreadful day came uh, when Adam disobeyed the Lord's instructions to not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. And they did it anyway. And despite what the devil told them about their eyes being open to see good and evil, that's the truth. Their eyes were open, but in another spiritual sense, they were closed. Their spiritual eyes were closed. Their carnal eyes were open and their spiritual eyes were closed. So you see, prior to Adam's disobedience, he had no knowledge of right and wrong. There was only obedience. When they realized they could disobey the Lord, they took the chance and subjected themselves to a world separated from the presence of the Lord. They went to a place that was against the face of the Lord. You might think it's strange that I would say something like this, but, but, but let, let me not be mistaken because God sees all things. But I'm telling you through the use of the scriptures that in the current dispensation of grace, he cannot see the lost in the same respect that he sees the saved. He cannot see them because they are lost. He only knows that they're there. If he could, they wouldn't be lost. The Bible teaches us that when the dispensation of grace has concluded, that the door of salvation and the door of salvation has been closed to mankind, that another dispensation will be open. The lost will all stand in this weird state before the Lord. As a curtain, you know, I'm talking about as, right after the rapture, everybody who remains will be living in a, what is a dispensation of judgment. The earth is going to see all kinds of judgment fall, and everybody that's left behind is going to partake in that. And they're just going to live in this half-faded state where they know the existence of God, and they know that he's real, but they can never see him. They can never hear of him. Humanity kind of meanders around right now in this half-faded stasis. And God, in his omniscience, he made a way to revert the condition by allowing us to be redeemed. But even before that could be an option, we first have to make ourselves available to him. We have to be willing to accept and to understand that the Lord wants us to be saved, that we want to be found. Adam was no longer innocent. He realized he was naked and heard the Lord walking in the garden and he hid himself in the brush. It wasn't a trick question that the Lord asked him. It wasn't, uh, you know, some kind of thing that the Lord was playing a game of hide and go seek. It wasn't a loaded question. Something was different. Something wasn't right. God knew what it was. He knew in advance when he had set up uh, the, the whole redemption process. He knew that what was going to happen. So he knew in advance and he took preemptive measures to save fallen man. Can you imagine the heartbreak the Lord must have felt? Because he had already been down this road with Lucifer and a third of the angels of heaven. His creation revolted against him. Sin separated Lucifer and a third of the angels from heaven. Separated them from their creator. And for what? To what end? That was a dead end road. Sin does not go anywhere but to a dead end. We follow our carnal flesh. We follow the, the, the desires of our flesh, the, uh, the, the manifestations of this world and the things that we desire of the flesh. We follow after those things. But guess what? Everything in this world, the Bible says, will be consumed with a, with a fire. There's nothing in this world that is going to remain. Or even our flesh is going to stay behind. 
So in our flesh, we pursue these things into what end? Just to fulfill our temporary desire of our flesh when all the while we're depriving our, the eternal part of our soul. Remember, we are spiritual creatures. We are body and we are soul. And if we walk according to the flesh only, we don't feed the spirit with spiritual things, then the spirit begins to wither and the flesh becomes stronger and we become more and more tied, tied to this world. And when the world is destroyed, we are destroyed with it. But our eternal soul will live on. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and man there be that go in thereat. I can't help to think of the masses that are blindly walking down, I call it Broadway. Look at the lights. The Bible says broad is the way, so I call it Broadway. Look at the lights. They're just mindlessly going down because everybody, they're, they're, they're surrounded by hordes of people. They're doing it. It's in fashion. It's popular. If everybody's doing it and the majority of people believe in it, then it must be the right thing to do. Let's just keep on down this track. Let's just keep walking down Broadway. Hey, we'll keep singing this song and dancing and turn our ears against the Lord because everybody's doing this. But the Bible says that that way leads to damnation. And many there be that go in thereat. We'd be captivated by the glamour and everything that is appealing to our senses. But the part of us that will live forever, it's not being fed. It's not being considered. We just turn a blind eye to it. But whether you want it to or not, it doesn't matter what you believe as far as, you know, I don't want my soul to live forever. You have no say in it. When you were born, you were given... The Spirit of God, the breath of life, gave you life, right? So you got, you got a body and you got a soul. Your soul goes on to live forever, and the Spirit, which gives you life, goes back to the Lord. Your, your body remains behind. Your soul lives on forever. Whether you want to or not, you have no say in it. Your, your soul will live on for all eternity in one of two places. You have no say in it. When you die, you go to either heaven or hell. Now, there are certain caveats that come with being known by name. You might recall the story of Job, how that God's confidence in him was so great that he granted Satan access to Job's life just to test his faithfulness. The Lord knew he would make it. He knew in advance. And you might remember reading about the seven sons of Sceva in Acts 19, 13 through 15. Certain vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus. We're talking about people who didn't even have the Holy Ghost. They just heard Paul talking about Jesus. They saw Paul and other people casting out, you know, demons uh, using the name of Jesus. So we got these individuals who heard them doing this. And they said, we adjure you by Jesus who Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and a chief of priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Who are you? He asked. Through Scripture now, we see two questions posted to the lost. Where are you? And who are you? And we got to consider our, you know, this half-fated state. Are we going to be one foot in and one foot out? Because when the, when the road forks, you, can't, you, can't, you have to choose one way. You can't have both. 
You can't live in a half-faded state and think that you're going to make it. Let's look at a couple more scriptures. In the book of Psalms 34, chapter 15 through 16, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. I don't know uh, who in here wants to be cut off. Nobody. Nobody wants to be, I don't want to be cut off. I don't want to be half faded. I want him to know my name. I want the enemy to know who I am. When I stand before him, I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Hallelujah. The Bible says that the world will wax worse and worse. Good will be called evil and evil will be called good. It's a scary thing to me because the people who walk in this half-fated state are lost from the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 3-6 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them who are lost. And whom the God of this world, it's a little g-god, it's not talking about the Lord, it's talking about the little g-god, whom the God of this world, talking about the establishment of the system, the world that we live in, the one that is appealing to all the people who are walking down Broadway, the God of this current world, the one that is pleasing the desires of the flesh, giving us all the things that we want for our flesh. The God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who has commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the Lord glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be the light. We are the connection to those who are lost. We're not to be in this half-fated state. We're to be a light to those who are in the half-fated state so that they could walk in light. For our power is in God and His light shines through us and it magnifies through us to others so others can see God through us. Amen. It's a good time now to glance at what Lucifer had. I don't know if it's, maybe I might have heard this here once. I did a study on this years and years ago, uh, Lucifer's ornaments in Ezekiel 28, 13 through 15. I love this. This is great. It's, this to me is justice in every way possible. Thou hast been in the garden of Eden. We're talking, this is, this is the Lord now talking, um, um, to Lucifer through a prophecy to Ezekiel. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, the topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The worksmanship of thy tabrets and the pipes was prepared in thee from the day that thou was created. Pipes is music. So all these beautiful ornaments and music was installed inside of him. And he had one purpose, to magnify God. He was like the king cherub. He was like this, you know, and he magnified God's beauty, but it is through his own ornaments that he became conceited in himself, and he sinned, thinking that he himself could also be God. It says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. I have set you so. Thou wast upon the holy mount of God, and hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in all thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in you. Waste not, what not. Let me tell you, people, God is a recycler. He's a recycler. He took those stones. He stripped them from Lucifer. He's not as pretty as he used to be. The Bible tells us later on that we're going to look down at him and say, this is him. This is the one that did make the nations to tremble. 
that little guy, he's the one. He's not going to have that beauty no more because the Lord has taken it. And he's done something else with it. And we find here in Revelation chapter 21, verses 18 through 20, talking about the walls of the new Jerusalem. And the building of the wall of it is made of jasper. And the city was pure gold, like in pure glass. And the foundation of the wall and the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. Listen to this. The first foundation was jasper. The second was sapphire. The third was uh, chalcedony. The fourth was emerald. The fifth was sardonyx. The sixth was sardius. The seventh was chrysolite. The eighth was beryl. The ninth was topaz. The tenth was, I can't pronounce that word, chrysoprasis. Uh, the eleventh was Jason, And the twelfth was amethyst. Ain't it awesome to know the justice of God that he took something that God, that Satan meant for evil, took it and made something awesome. He took the beauty. He said, what not, waste not. He said, I'm going to take this thing that I created and it's not going to waste, but it's going to be used. I'm going to build my people something. I'm going to make a way for salvation because I see ahead and I know that they're going to cheat on me again. I know that there's going to be a time that they're going to fail, that they're going to fall, that they're going to fall. But this time I made a way for salvation. I made a way for redemption. And when they are redeemed, they will be my holy people. And they're going to live in this beautiful city that I'm making for them. Hallelujah. And you want to know why Satan hates us so much? Because he can't be redeemed. He can't be redeemed and we're doing his job magnifying God. It was his job. Now it's our job to magnify the Lord. He used to magnify God. Now it's our job. The ornaments that was once adorned upon him is now on our property. It's on our land. The stuff we haven't seen yet, but we have a property purchased for us that the Lord bought for us. Amen. That stuff is just over there, glory land. We can't see it wholly yet, but he's kind of told us what it's like. And I can't wait. I can't wait. Here's what we don't need to fret about. Principalities and powers. Because our Father in heaven is with us and by our side. Ephesians chapter 6 and 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against uh, spiritual wickedness in high places. Colossians 2 and 15 says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Amen. I'm going to ask our, our music if they can come right now as I begin to tidy up here. I don't want to live in this half-faded state. I don't want nothing to do with it. I felt like I was there for the last year and a half, pushing things away from my plate. You know what I did, though? I stayed true. I kept coming to church. I kept doing what I needed to do to stay saved. But I felt like, because I wasn't hearing from God, that I was wrong. In my mind, I knew that I was going through something. It was all medical. I had to convince myself of this. I had to stay faithful and I had to stay true to the Lord. I want to tell you a little story here as they uh, uh, play a little something. Some of you might have heard this. It's not a new story by any stretch of the imagination. It's probably been used a hundred times over. But there was a young girl once walking along a mountain path to her grandmother's house. She heard a rustle at her feet. Looking down, she saw a snake. But before she could react, the snake spoke to her. I'm about to die he said. It's cold for me up here. I'm freezing. There's no food in these mountains and I'm starving. Please put me under your coat and take me with you. No, the girl replied. I know you're kind. You are a rattlesnake. And if I pick you up, you will bite me and your bite is poisonous. No, no, the snake said. If you help me, 
You will be my best friend. I will treat you differently. The young girl sat on a rock for a moment to rest and think things over. She looked at the beautiful markings on the snake. She had to admit that he was the most beautiful snake she had ever seen. Suddenly she said, I believe you. I'll save you. All living things deserve to be treated with kindness. She then reached over, put the snake gently under her coat and continued toward her grandmother's house. Within a moment, she felt a sharp pain in her side. The snake had bitten her. How could you do this to me? She cried. You promised that you wouldn't bite me. I trusted you. The snake looked at her and said, you knew what I was when you picked me up. There's something to be learned there. When we walk through this world, it was made for us to live on, but it's temporary. This is just a temporary place for us. Think of it as a boot camp, a training ground. It's a place where we go through life, not meandering, but with focus, with intention, with purpose. And we're working our way towards a specific goal. I know we have some veterans in here and this is something you can equate to I'm sure there's others. Everybody can relate to this. You set your heart to something and you have to stay focused on that. If you desire to continue on in this world existing in a half-fated state, then you need not respond to my message at all. Just ignore it altogether. But if you desire to be seen of God, and that he knows you by name, then there are some things you must know. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You need to come to church because preaching saves us. It was a couple messages that Brother Jones ministered to a couple months ago in this setting right here that affected me the most and pushed me out of my rut. preaching saves us. Second, 2 Corinthians 7 and 10 says, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Repentance saves you. We can't move on in this world without repentance. We can't have a relationship with God without repentance. He can't hear our cries without repentance. That half-faded state, you can kind of use this analogy that we're hiding in the shadows from God, almost in a dark alley that the Lord doesn't walk down. He's not going to know you're there, but if you cry out to him with a spirit of repentance, the Bible tells us that his ears are open. If his back is to you, he can't see you, but he can hear you. He hears your cries. Repentance saves us. Third, 1 Peter 3, 21 says, A like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us. Not the putting away of filth of the flesh, but the answer of God, the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
That means we have to be resurrected like Jesus was resurrected. The Bible says baptism does also now now save us. We need to be baptized. Romans 8 and 9 says that ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. It's not good to only be halfway done. I'll repent. I'll get baptized later. I'll repent. I'll get baptized. I'll get the Holy Ghost later. No. Because when the Lord comes back, the trump is sound. Our ticket is going to be His Spirit. If we don't have the Holy Ghost, we can't fly. It's not going to happen. To finish the scripture I was reading a while ago about the gate being broad. Jesus continued on in verse 14 in Matthew 7. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it. I want to be counted amongst the few. Just because the majority says it's right doesn't mean it's right. I want to do what God says is right. God's in the minority. And I want to be in the minority. That path is well lit. It's a different kind of light though. The people that are on Broadway are focused on other lights. They're focused on the electric lights of the city. They're focused on the sounds, the smells. But those who are following the straight and narrow path, the Lord's voice is their guide. The Lord's voice is their their lamp. His word is a lamp unto their feet and light unto their path. The Lord knows their name and He sees them. They know where they are. Amen. Does God know where you are? Who are you? Where are you? Amen, Pastor. Appreciate that good word this morning. There's one thing I was noticing as Brother Hogan was teaching today. I looked it up in the Bible. You know, Satan through the serpent told Adam and Eve, You're not going to die. But if you go back just a few verses, you'll see where God said, The day that you eat of that, you'll surely die. Neither one of them were lying they just had a different definition of what death was God was talking about a spiritual death Satan was talking about a temporal a temporal thing he said you're not you're, you're not going to die what are you talking about die that's because the definition that God has for dying and the definition that Satan has for dying are two completely different things and that's why Satan will try to tempt you with everything that pleases the here and the now. And he'll try to get you to stop thinking about the type of death that God is warning us that will one day come, and that is a spiritual death. Amen. I want us to understand today that there's nothing more important than our soul. Nothing. If we have to sacrifice everything up to 
up to and including our life to make heaven our home, it will be worth it all because that is eternity we're talking about. And everything here is temporal. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Hogan. God bless you today. Thank you for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. You can follow this podcast for more great episodes from the Landmark family. If you are ever in our area, our doors are open on Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thank you once again for listening to the Landmark Apostolic Church's podcast. God bless.